With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. We're live, taking over for two for one. Round one is in the books of the NFL Draft. Sam, how you doing, man? Doing good, Steve. How about you? How was TV? Doing great. TV was awesome. It was great. I think we, PFF show was fantastic over on the YouTube channel, over at PFF.com. We get the full draft tracker. We're going to be back there again for rounds two and three. But also the entire weekend, Saturday at 11 a.m. and then Sunday for a recap show. So be with us the entire weekend. Obviously, a lot to get to, Sam. So let's get into it. Favorite picks, least favorite picks. We got to start with the Aaron Rodgers stuff, though, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> the biggest story of the day. I mean, this is right up there with the gas mask stealing all the headlines at the top of the draft. How can you say it's the biggest story of the day? We had a Tim Tebow working at a tight end <laughs> story today, which feels like it was like a week and a half ago, given how much stuff went down. But that was something that I didn't have on the draft day bingo was a Tim Tebow workout story. Um, yeah. And then the Aaron Rodgers craziness breaks. And so the news breaks that Rogers basically is pissed off. Doesn't want to play for the Packers again. The Packers have known this for a while, but of course it doesn't come out until round one of, of the draft. And then right before the draft is going to start, Mark Schlereth starts dropping on radio that the, the Broncos have got like a deal done. It's almost, it's as good as done. He's going to be going to, to Aaron Rodgers is going to be going to Denver and everything everybody thought they knew about the draft has just been blown to hell. Um, but that part at least didn't manifest itself. But yes, the Rodgers has become another Russell Wilson story this offseason. We spent a lot of time on the live show talking about this. But if it is Rodgers going to Denver, I mean, the three teams that were mentioned, Denver, the Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas Raiders, and the San Francisco 49ers, the reports are that the, the Niners did make a play. Where's the best spot? 
for Aaron Rodgers? Or is he really legitimately retiring? I mean, this is the thing, right? The This is a bit like Russell Wilson in that I just don't think the team is going to move him. Like, it, it's one thing when, you know, the quarterback is going to – is pissed off enough to the point where they're prepared to play completely hardball, sit out, and and they force it to happen. Um, and, you know, the Houston Texans might have been in that situation with Deshaun Watson before his situation got even more complicated with all the legal issues – um, Seattle, I don't think it ever got that far. Russell Wilson was never making those kinds of threats. Um, and with Green Bay, even if Rodgers wants to go that route, they have jo- uh, Jordan Love that they drafted for his replacement. Like at some point, they are going to be turning to Jordan Love in theory. So if Rodgers wants out and says, "Look, I'm I'm not <clears throat> I'm not playing here again. Trade me, or I'll retire," they would. They'd let him retire. They would they would call his bluff and say, all right, we're not trading you. So your two options are to play for us or walk away from the game. Either way, we can make it work because we already have the quarterback waiting in the wing. So I just I don't see this deal happening. And I think the fact that it didn't happen today during the draft probably indicates as much. What if the June so the June 1st cutoff does affect the salary cap? So with Rogers. You know, is there this NBA draft and trade kind of scenario? If it is truly the Broncos and they drafted a corner and, of course, the Packers ended up drafting a corner too. So we were hypothesizing the Packers are telling the – look, take this guy. Take Patrick Sertan at nine. June 1st hits. Give us Sertan and give us a couple more first-rounders. We'll give you Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, if that was – that was the scenario – that we were thinking about, but then the Packers end up taking a corner later in the first round too. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but uh, Denver was a fascinating landing spot for Aaron Rodgers with all those playmakers and the Mahomes factor in that division. It actually was. Yeah. And I I think, I I don't think the Patrick Sertan pick mean anything when it comes to like an Aaron Rodgers thing. I don't think you can look at it as that sort of, yeah, they've 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 orchestrated that so that the trade can happen down the line. I know that Denver signed a couple of cornerbacks already, um, but one of them was Ronald Darby. And as talented as Ronald Darby is, he's also been pretty wildly inconsistent. So I'm not sure how much you can bank on him as a long term solution. And then Fuller came in was kind of an, uh, just a they lucked into him, right? They they weren't expecting him to be released and be available. Um, and they just pounced on it when it was, but neither one of those guys is necessarily a long-term fix at that position. Sertan is like Sertan will come in and be your new long-term number one corner. So I just don't think that it necessarily connects like that, but what it is, is just insane to me. Denver, who I was saying were the most quarterback desperate team heading into the draft elected to pass on like two of the five quarterbacks that were available and they didn't even have to move up to get one. They had both those guys sitting there when their pick came up and elected to not, not take a quarterback. There's a lot to hit on. And that's, that's one of them. Okay. So Justin, the Justin Fields slide, that's the biggest story, right? I mean, Justin Fields, number three quarterback on the PFF draft board, the guy that we all said, look, he was the best fit for the San Francisco 49ers. That story is huge too. We just spent months Trying or a month trying to figure out who are the Niners taking at three. It's Trey Lance. It's not Mac Jones. But then Justin Fields, you know, 
we were saying, look, well, how do you pass on Justin Fields? How do you pass on him at three? Well, other teams did as well, including who you said, the Denver Broncos. The Carolina Panthers may have been in the market. The Lions could have been in the market. But the Bears go up and get him at 11. And maybe it's the most important move of the draft. That and the Niners moving up from 12 to three prior to the draft. So Lance to the Niners and Fields to the Bears. Do the Bears finally have their guy? Well, that was your that's your splash. They finally did it. I told you. It, it took splash all, play. Took them all offseason to get it done, but they finally did it. Oh, by the way, it. and they you see, you see, I'm a Bears insider, as you see. I mean, I, I was tweeting, well, keep an eye on the Bears. Said it before the draft. You know, yeah. Keep an eye on they, it. Um, they repeated themselves, right? They did the they the Mike Glenn and Mitchell Trubisky trick again, right? You bring in this <laughs> underwhelming veteran quarterback, and you're like, he's the guy. And then, like a month later, you go and draft his replacement uh, high up in the first round, and he's gone again. That's it's almost an exact carbon copy of that. But th- so there's a few things to go. Like let's do each quarterback uh, decision in turn, right? The 49ers make Trey Lance their guy, and I think by the end of the the sort of what's going to happen process, I was coming around to that as being where they might go. I think in our internal pff draft competition i think i selected trey lance as the quarterback they would go with and to me i was coming around to that as the idea of the the best compromise of ceiling versus risk um and i think i agree with people that say look the if you have three quarterbacks that all have ability as passers, why would you not want the ones that also bring things in terms of the run game as well, right? Whether it's scramble, whether it's designed run, it's just an extra thing. Like it's always a bonus. Why would you not target that unless the other guy is so good at everything else that it offsets that. And, and Mac Jones wasn't, I don't think. So if you're hedging and you say, right, I'd like the guy that's a rushing threat. Now I need to avoid, something that's scary and to me there's just nothing in lance's game that's scary i get that he has a low sample size and he hasn't actually played that much football but i'm starting to become of the opinion that that's a a better thing than it is a bad thing in today's nfl it's a it's a good thing in terms of projecting growth as opposed to a scary thing that will turn you off a guy because he's going to turn into something that you didn't see whereas Mac Jones, you know, doesn't bring anything as a rusher, is has got some limitations in terms of his skill set. And the Justin Fields thing, which we'll get to in a minute, I think there are reasons to be scared of Justin Fields, despite the incredible play that we've seen from him in college. So you just sort of left with the idea of, well, Trey Lance is this best compromise option. And again, anybody going to Kyle Shanahan's offense is going to look like a stud. Yeah, there's a legitimate bad case for for everybody there's a good case for everybody uh when we were on set on the live show though i feel like a lot of people were were analyzing with their heart instead of with their brain and and here's the thing it is if, if it was just down to mac jones and trey lance for the 49ers it is not a slam dunk that it had to be trey lance now in the grand scheme of things i could i i agree that trading up multiple first rounders to get a mac jones is not the most intriguing thing. But let's be serious. We don't have a data point that screams Trey Lance over over Mac Jones from a decision standpoint. It truly is you're paying for upside. You're investing in what he could be, but also the high floor that we always like to reference here on the PFF NFL podcast. We always say the run game does raise the floor 
of the offense. So worst case scenario for Trey Lance, the run, you know, he's he he gets added to the run game. I mean, he's an 800 yard rusher at the NFL right. level. He can rush for 800 yards in in a in an offense that will feature him. And I think that's what Shanahan will do. And then, as I mentioned, you know, his accuracy is far below everyone else. But if the throws are open, which Shanahan already does, plus play action with the with the quarterback in there, he'll be okay. I mean, I think. He's in the best situation, which we've covered quite a bit. It's the best situation of any quarterback, so I think he'll succeed. But it's not like it was a slam dunk, Trey Lance over Mac Jones at the right. But remember, like, yes, he is definitely the most inaccurate of the quarterbacks available now. But a, we've got very recent proof that that isn't necessarily a permanent trait. You know, Josh Allen's development, and B, if anybody is going to change a bad habit or develop a, a better set of mechanics it's going to be the guy that's only attempted 400 career passes right like it, trey lance would be the be like if you were if you were looking at a justin fields and his big negative was was trey lance levels of inaccuracy that to me would be more concerning because that guy's played several years worth of college he's got a lot of experience that's a lot to have to unwork and and you know fix and redo from the ground up whereas trey lance is like the guy's barely started throwing the ball it shouldn't take that you know it shouldn't be that much of a process to try and fix that kind of stuff if you believe it's possible so i think that yeah again like the fact that accuracy is his biggest issue is less concerning to me than it would be for the other two quarterbacks the other thing though can we just say how funny it is that mac jones ended up going exactly where everybody thought he was like six six weeks ago before all this right. chaos started he was a mid first round pick. And then suddenly out of nowhere, it talk seemed to be like, Hey, the NFL likes Mac Jones a lot more than the media does start paying attention guys. He's going to go higher than you think he is. And then there was talk of top 10 and it was like Carolina might draft him. Carolina at eight is, is Mac Jones floor now. And then Carolina bails on that. Or if they were ever in it, that may have been complete crap from the outset. Carolina gets Sam Darnold in then San Francisco makes this jump up to three and it becomes the Mac Jones show. I Mac Jones's entire rise, if you like, of draft boards may have been a complete figment no, of media it, speculation. It, it wasn't. I'll use my somewhere in the NFL, someone agrees with Darren Orlovsky. Somewhere no. in the 49ers building, someone, perhaps Kyle, <laughs> wanted Mac Jones. Right. I and think, this is why. This is why draft stock is funny, well, right? Because like, but they didn't if, know. No. Nobody in that building knew who they were picking. I, I believe the reports that Mac Jones was the guy. And then there was further discussion. So no. somebody in the building wanted Mac Jones at three. Somebody in the building wanted Mac. And that's the thing about draft stock. If somebody gets their way, Mac Jones is the third overall pick. If someone else gets their way, he's 15th. Right, if the Jaguars aren't enamored, if the Jaguars weren't enamored with Blake Bortles a few years ago, He's not number three. He's probably number 28, right? So it changes your perception based off maybe just one or two teams. But this this rise started before the, the Shanahan jump, right? It, was it, did. Already, it did. It was You're already right. like Mac Jones is going to go higher than you guys think he is. The NFL loves him more. And then Shanahan made the jump, and it's like, oh, Shanahan knows. Shanahan knows. that. See, look, this is where it's happening, and Mac Jones is going to go to three. And, like, nobody within that building knew who they were picking. So even if the reports were coming from within the 49ers building, right, let's say they've, they've got hold of some 
scout or a coordinator or whoever it is. Those guys did not know. The, the conversations were happening, right? They were evaluating the players. They were discussing them all, but they did not know who was being picked. So even if that was where the leaks were coming from, it was baseless because that's not what the conversation was. Shanahan didn't tell anybody until like they were making the pick. So I, I don't think the, the entire Mac Jones thing, this may have been where he always was. Nobody ever had him higher than this. This was just Mac Jones's level. And he ended well, up going exactly where he was supposed to. All right, we'll circle back to Mac Jones. Let's go back to Justin Fields. As we mentioned with all these quarterbacks, including Mac Jones, what's the negative? Trey Lance, experience, accuracy. Mac Jones, off, you know, off, uh, off, out of structure, you know, second reaction plays, natural feel. Justin Fields, it's holding the ball. 3.1 seconds per drop back in his career. That is a long time and also a high sack percentage. Now that has been coming the way the, the way that's been communicated, whatever around the league, but it's a legitimate concern that he's not working all that quickly. Hit second reads fine, and our data shows that and everything, but holding the ball that long is generally not the greatest thing in the world. But few guys, he's right up there with Lawrence or Wilson at hitting open throws accurately down the field, and that's huge for the Bears. Yeah, so I think it's important to um, separate what happened to Justin Fields with an actual negative side of his game, right? So I think that he was subjected to this negative campaign of information and, and discussion, unlike any of the other quarterbacks this year. For some reason, Justin Fields was the target for almost all negativity. There was some pushback on Mac Jones, but honestly, there was more... There were more people coming out and saying, I can see why Mac Jones' stock is going up than there were people railing against it and saying, this guy doesn't belong anywhere near this discussion. Justin Fields was the guy where almost everything that came out was negative from, you know, I'm hearing that he, he's not the hardest worker, doesn't want to be great, to, you know, guys dealing with epilepsy, to everything that came out was just shitting on him for no reason. Um, so I think... I don't know why that happened, and I think it was wrong, and I think it's not good. But that shouldn't um, invalidate the idea that there were things to be frightened of about Justin Fields as a quarterback prospect, and potentially, therefore, were real reasons that he slipped further on. And we said, I think on our last podcast, I said, I can imagine Fields being the guy that slips. Now, it turns out Fields and Mac Jones slipped a little bit, so I wasn't I wasn't right on completely. Um, but Fields, I think, was slipping for a reason. And when you turned on the tape, like when I first started to watch Fields, he was the first quarterback of this group that I put on tape of and watched um, like independently of just watching college football. And like really quickly, you immediately came to the conclusion that, okay, this is going to be a problem to evaluate, right? Because yeah. The stuff that he was good at, he's incredibly good at, and it's it it spat its way out to PFF grades of ninety every year. Um, but you did see the negative, and it, you're right. It's not that he can't. It's not. It was never that he couldn't read defenses or couldn't get through his progression or couldn't do all these things. It's just that it it's it takes time, and it took him time to to do everything, and that was kind of an issue. He sort of skews into that. Jacoby Brissett world of quarterbacks where it just takes longer than it needs to and causes him some problems. 
and manifest itself in some pretty critical situations. And that will get worse at the next level, I would imagine. Now, the flip side of that is another one of the first things you come away with is, I mean, it just looks so easy for him, right? So where is that balance? Like Jacoby Brissett never made it look that easy in college, right? So his negative of taking too long and taking sacks that he shouldn't just meant he was a non-viable quarterback. Fields yeah. is better than that and a lot better and better at pretty much everything. So will it still do the same thing to him or is he good enough at everything else that it, it's always going to be a negative trait of his, but it's not like a crippling one. It's still, it's something that maybe holds him back from being one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, but he can still be very good doing that. The point yeah, is let's, though, it's an unknown, right? So it's a scary right. thing. And NFL teams committing a high first round pick to a quarterback hate scary unknown things let's let's just remind people what that might look like right so in his career high sack percentage really low turnover worthy play percentage so when you look at negative plays for a quarterback a, a turnover is obviously negative but sacks are they're very negative as well yeah um so low turnovers high sack percentage so that describes at the high end that's an aaron Rodgers or a russell wilson both guys for the majority of their career always took good care of the ball took too many sacks uh, the other the other people that do something similar, Ryan Tannehill, uh, you mentioned Jacoby Brissett, and, and then a Tyrod Taylor. So there's this yeah. entire spectrum of players. So I'm landing on Tannehill as that middle guy. And honestly, Carson Wentz isn't exactly that. But again, I, I saw some Carson Wentz type of traits He's on that from track. Fields. Right. So um, and, and what do you get with that? Wentz has had an MVP caliber season. Ryan Tannehill, the last two, it's taken him seven or eight years, but the last two years he's been... You know, Justin Fields, 90-plus type of grade uh, guy, right? So if if everything else stays good, you know, Tannehill always threw the ball beautifully, right? Like, when you watch Tannehill throw the ball, zip, accuracy, one of the most accurate in the league, but you're like, man, there's just something missing. There's just pocket presence or third down sacks or whatever. I, I don't know if that's where Fields ends up landing, but you might expect something similar. And that is a guy you can win with. It might not sound exciting, but that's something you can win with. And then you add the run game to it. He had over 700 rushing yards on design runs. So the Bears have a new element that they have to tap into. The same thing we were saying, look, Shanahan should be tapping into this if he goes with fields at three. So the floor is high because of the rushing. The ceiling's high because of the big-time throws, the accuracy, and all you yeah. got to do is get him to play a little bit quicker. I just think it's I think it's useful for everybody if we acknowledge that there is a real negative to his game and that there's a reason that he was sliding. Now, I think he slid too far and I even for the negative, I think a team like Denver passed on him is nuts, right? And there's there's a quote that came out. Um Ben sent me to this. Uh Mike Cliss tweeted, Now it can be told. After acquiring Teddy Bridgewater yesterday, Patton cooled on quarterbacks for the number nine pick. Didn't give up on Drew Locke's potential. Bridgewater a leader slash mentor for a still young offense. Should be a true competition, quarterback competition in OTAs, training camp, and preseason. So that is just, I mean, as much as we lauded Denver for their great process of Drew Locke previously, right, and, and Teddy Bridgewater, bringing in Teddy Bridgewater, cheap backup contract, should right up until the point it prevents you doing something with the number yeah. nine overall pick, we were like, this is great process. That, that immediate step right there invalidates all of the previous process. It completely destroys it because 
now you have gone, all right, we had a busted flush in Drew Locke. We have a mentor, backup, um, cheap quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, who we think might be able to do more than he showed last year. If we get a Justin Fields who starts to slide, who even though he has some negatives to his game, has so many incredible positives that he's almost certainly a huge upgrade over either of these two guys. We are golden. And instead, they blew it. They passed on him, drafted a cornerback instead, and now they have the worst starting quarterback situation in the NFL again. Yeah, man. I Look, I, I agree. So this is how you stack up that decision, right? Let's pretend Aaron Rodgers is out of the equation for a minute for Denver. What you just said was they would rather roll with Drew Locke and Patrick Sertan. Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, and Patrick Sertan mm-hmm. than Justin Fields and Teddy Bridgewater. And no Patrick Sertan. And I yeah. love Patrick Sertan. In a vacuum, if Denver has a quarterback that they trust, I love this move. I love so much of what Denver's done. Nobody says go grab three corners as quickly as possible more than we do here at PFF. <laughs> Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby both brought in this offseason. And it still didn't keep Denver from drafting Patrick Sertan. Love the process. It's awesome. you got to cover people in the AFC West Chiefs. But the if Justin Fields is, say, Ryan Tannehill, it's a massive upgrade over yeah. Drew Locke. And a Ryan Tannehill... Before he became great, and a Ryan Tannehill type of player three, four years ago in this system with these four legitimate receivers and fast tight end and Noah Fant is doing some damage, right? So, man, I the, the field's move is curious, and that's why I said the Bridgewater trade doesn't keep them out of the quarterback market, but it probably says they soured on something. A guy that they might have liked is going at three, and they don't want four and five. They don't want QB four and five for whatever reason. So they got a hedge and have Teddy Bridgewater in the building, and that's why they did it yesterday. Right, and this is the thing of, as much as I liked all five quarterbacks, we've been saying all along, NFL teams won't, right? There are NFL teams that will see this, the three-quarterback class at the top and not a five one or a four or a two or whatever it was. Maybe Denver loved Trey Lance, and when maybe they got wind of the idea that the 49ers were going to take Lance at three and Lance wouldn't be the guy that started to slip, and suddenly they're out on quarterbacks because they don't like Fields and they don't like Mac Jones. But to me, I mean, again, the, when I first watched him, I can't remember who was it, but somebody compared Justin Fields to Russell Wilson. Um, and I got those vibes as well. When you watched him, it was like he's a bigger Russell Wilson. Now he's not maybe as good as Russell Wilson. But then the other thing that that always struck me was he made – like that offense at Ohio State was a weird one in terms of what it asked him to do, but he made things look so easy. And he made him look so easily against, you know, Big Ten defenses and then Clemson and then less to a lesser extent, but Alabama, like he's making things look easy against legitimate defenses. And I used to think that that was something that didn't translate to the NFL because the athletes are bigger, stronger, stronger, faster. But it seems to. Right. If you if you're able to make people at that level look just smaller, slower, less athletic and less capable than you are that tends to translate. And that uh, like, there's a reason the dude had three straight seasons of 90 plus PFF grades. We're not saying he's flawless, but we're saying despite that flaw, he's still able to shred everybody he comes up against. And that is a hell of a lot better than Drew Locke has ever been able to manage. So Denver passing on fields to me is crazy. And Chicago going to get him, I think is a really smart move. 
You could say it for every team. You could say it for Detroit. You could say it for Carolina. I don't want to get into all of it, but yeah, I, I'm excited for the Bears. I'm excited for think, Bears fans. They made their move. Yeah, but I, I do think that the fact that he did slide that far and then enough of those teams all decided to pass is probably at least it's probably at least significant in terms of what the NFL thinks of that flaw that is there and isn't talked about as enough, I think. Right. Um, so we're going to have plenty more PFF NFL podcast. We're going to be recapping. This is our quick reaction for round right. one. Um, if you're, if you're watching us live YouTube, uh, or on PFF.com, which by the way, the draft tracker looking slick right now. Appreciate everybody mm. breaking records over at PFF.com tonight. PFF forecast is coming on right after us. We just want to have wall-to-wall coverage on this thing. We're back on set tomorrow night covering round rounds two and three. Also, my shirt's coming from Sweat Taylor, sponsor of the podcast, sponsor of the show. It's comfy, but it's you know kind of classy, Sam. I got to throw a little sport coat over it, so uh, I don't find stuff that fits all that well, but no. it fits well. It's nice. It's premium menswear that is defining a new kind of casual from jackets to pants to joggers and hoodies. Sweat Taylor's designs are made to seamlessly fit into your life, moving from runway to office, office to drinks, and drinks to wherever the night takes you. Specializing in athleisure wear for men, pieces are designed for the comfort and versatility in mind for every day. Promo code is PFF-SWEAT, S-W-E-T, PFF-SWEAT for 25% off. That's PFF-S-W-E-T for 25% off your order at SweatTaylor.com. Sweat, S-W-E-T. Mine, uh, mine isn't coming from there, but I did have a lady in a shop compliment me on it today. So, you know. Really? You How get your that? sweat tailor, I get my warrior uh, face paint, and we're all good. It's your warrior face paint. I love it. It's a good shirt. It's a good shirt. All right, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, by the way, PFF NFL Daily, we'll just we'll go through our favorite pick, maybe our least mm-hmm. favorite pick as well. Uh, what other – the Mac Jones story here when it comes yeah. to the Patriots. When were you gone? Yeah, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great spot, man. And, and it's like, look, they didn't have to trade up. I thought they might be aggressive. Didn't have to trade up. They they – done so much with this roster this offseason so all right take a shot with a mac jones so let's see if he could be the next guy i love it yeah i mean look the the idea of tom brady 2.0 landing in new england is just too good a story not to happen right it made perfect sense look i i think there's a very real chance that mac jones thrives in new england and i think what's great is for him you know he would have been crushed under the weight of expectation if he had been the number three overall pick because this there was going translation period, right? And when you're drafted number three overall with the fact that the 49ers essentially traded three first to make that happen, you can't sit for a year behind Jimmy G, right? You have to start now and you have to be an right. upgrade over him. Like you have to you have to show really good stuff right out of the gate. Otherwise, we've got real problems. Now you don't. Cam Newton's there. Cam Newton can play in this two tight end heavy offense. Now he's got a better supporting cast and he's, you know, maybe whatever. Cam Newton can hold the, the, the reins for you for a while if it takes you a little while to get up to speed. And that transition period for Mac Jones, I think, is going to be very real. Um, what did I just do? It's, I don't know. You put up some, some I was, comments. I didn't know I could show comments. I don't know if it's a good one or not. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's probably just used to free stuff. frame that and got us into real trouble. Um, but look, he that transition between Alabama o- Open and NFL Open, there you go, is uh, is is a real one. I think it's going to take him a little bit of time. Also, it's going to take him time to learn the offense. Like that doesn't happen overnight. It's a difficult 
system to learn. Um, it take, took Cam Newton time to learn it. And it's going to be even more interesting this year because it is going to be such a different system. So I think this buying Mac Jones, the time and the sort of the freedom to sit behind somebody for a little bit and actually transition in at a sensible rate is massive for him. I know we've been saying, look, Kyle Shanahan's a wizard. The 49ers is the best system for any quarterback to land. And that is true. But now he lands in a, a slightly less great uh, system and fit for him, but with way less pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it just even though the narrative is Mac Jones runs the offense, facilitator, and, you know, quick decision maker in the whole thing, learning the New England offense is not easy. Right. And again, I made the point earlier tonight. Jimmy Garoppolo took a couple of years to learn it. You know, Tom Brady sat for a year. Don't forget. So the idea that Mac Jones, because he's the smartest dude, is just going to walk in and be the guy. He does have time. He probably won't start week one because of Cam. Um, and then maybe there is a point where it's it's both of them, uh, you know, Cam Newton with a little goal line package and the whole deal. So um, don't know if he's going to be starting right away. Um, so Mac Jones to New England. That's a good fit. What other storylines? I mean, there were a lot of when we said it was a chalk draft, Sam, there was just a lot of picks that went as expected. Then there's an Alex Leatherwood pick to the Raiders, but there's a lot of picks that kind of went is, as expected. I asked you that. Am I, I, is that what does that mean? I've, I don't, I honestly don't think I'd ever expectation heard that term before like against today. expectation. Yeah. But what, where does, what's the etymology of that? Where does it come from? I honestly don't think I'd ever heard it before today. And then I heard three it's people a, say it within an hour. It's a gambling term, as is far it? as I know. Gambling term. That yeah. would explain why you're so au fait with it. You oh, yeah. Mr. Pretty uh, pretty up on this stuff. Yeah. Um, so the top four, once Trey Lance goes at three, Kyle Pitts goes at four with the Falcons. Uh, the Bengals go with Jamar Chase over Penesul in that whole decision. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought the Dolphins going Jalen Waddle instead of Devontae Smith was the first one where there's like this big even or either or decision that was made. I know you're, you're not going to like it, but that's one of those decisions that we're going to look back on and say, did they pass? On, like, did they really pass on Devontae Smith or they got mm -hmm. their guy in Waddle that may not be Ty Tyree kill, but has that type of ability. Yeah. So, all right. So there's some, there's some piece, there's some strands to this one. It happened again, right? <laughs> like they, the, for the second year in a row, a speedy wide receiver is taken over the guy who was obviously the better wide receiver in his own team in right. the draft, right? Ruggs went above Jerry Judy last year when you couldn't come to that conclusion from watching the two of them at Alabama. You just, it, no, it was wrong. Um, but Ruggs ran the 4-2, Jerry Judy didn't, so the Raiders took him first. Uh, this year... Jalen Waddle went above Devontae Smith, where again, I don't see how you can come to the conclusion that Waddle was better from watching both of them in Alabama. Now, I will say that it's closer this year, and that also that Waddle is a significantly better receiver than Ruggs was a year ago. Um, and I so the biggest thing people will throw at you is Waddle was the number one receiver when they were both healthy this year which I think is just is just simply not true. He had more receiving yardage. Um, on the other hand, he uh, it was all based off one 95-yard double move touchdown in you know a four-week period we're talking about, right? So a 95-yard touchdown happens every now and again, but it's, it's not luck, but it's sort of fluky when it comes up, right? At that point in the season, Waddle had had a 95-yard touchdown, 
and Smith hadn't yet had a, a, a catch longer than 30 yards or something, right? Later on in the season, Smith had longer longer touchdowns, and that would have uh, overtaken that gap. But they tied at touchdowns at that point. Smith had more targets, uh, catches, was way more use on third down when they actually needed plays. Basically, the only numbers in which Waddle was ahead were all skewed by that one 95-yard play. So he wasn't the number one during the time they were both playing. Just that clearly isn't true. And the other thing is he had a way easier role. He was playing largely in the slot against off coverage where guys weren't actually trying to challenge him. And, you know, people, Chris was bringing it up on the show tonight. Like they were running like dig and goes, right? Routes that don't exist in the NFL and are basically uncoverable, like completely uncoverable because you're not even expecting anyone to have the time to run that kind of pattern. And Waddle's making a, like an entire season out of running this stuff. So I just don't understand how you can look at it and say Waddle is a better receiver than Devontae Smith because he wasn't it in might college. Not be. They're, they want something different, Sam. I, I cannot wait to see Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller on the field at the same time with Devontae Parker. I mean, Waddle's proxy right, should not be Tyree Kill. It should be Will Fuller. So it's the speed threat, and he will get open. Will Fuller. Yeah, well, for a year. They got him for a year. Okay. So, it look, but, I, I don't like, hate it, but it's going to be one reason, that they look back on if Devontae's tearing it up in Philadelphia. Right. The only reason you look at that is if is if you look at Devontae Smith and say, oh, well, you know, he can't really do this. So we take the guy that can because that's the thing that we want. Devontae Smith can get deep as well and be a deep threat himself. Like, it's not, it's not a missing element to his game, but in addition to that, he's got a bunch of other things he can do. The one other thing I will say, though, is that my, the guy – that I think is the better receiver every year seems to keep getting saddled with crappy passing quarterbacks. It's going to make Jerry you look Judy's, Right. Jerry Judy's been trapped with Drew Locke for a year, and now uh, Devontae is going to Jalen Hurts, who wasn't exactly looking uh, on fire at the end of last year. So that's not ideal. My all-time favorite basketball player, Hakeem Olajuwon, wants us to speak on the Bengals. Look, we're going to be doing division-by-division division recaps at some point. We'll get into the details, but we've talked plenty of Bengals. We've discussed this Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase decision. I, I like where the Bengals stand tomorrow. If you guys are watching on our live stream uh, on the draft tracker, P- pff.com. This guy gets it. <laughs> See? <laughs> It'd be a cool pick if Hertz was a good quarterback and not just a character guy. Ouch. Yeah. So you look at the draft tracker in the best available. So best available if you're at pff.com slash draft slash tracker. We can watch us and see all the picks. There are tackles still available, whether it's Walker Little, Tevin Jenkins. Not that the Bengals need a tackle, but Tevin Jenkins could play some guard and then kick out to tackle after Riley Reef is done for a year. So that was the that was the balance here. You can get Panay Sewell and then another playmaker, or you get the playmaker and circle back and get the offensive linemen. There are offensive linemen available. Dylan Radunz is still there. Samuel Cosme is still there. If you feel like you need a tackle, there are tackles available. There's also some guards available a little bit later on. Uh, so it, I think it was a good move for the Bengals. It was a toss up, but judging by the way, the draft has fallen, you know, you've got some tackles to take it, yeah, to I mean, take, take a look at. <laughs> I tweeted that selecting Jamar Chase was the right move. Uh, selecting Panay Sewell would have also been the right move. Like the Bengals couldn't screw that up. It was no, like, it was right either way. They would have been fine. The second round picking the other way. They, they, it was a win-win. They couldn't have screwed it up. All right. You want to go about five more minutes and we'll get the, uh, We'll get the forecast guys in here. 
Yep. Uh, other moves, what are the other huge ones that stand out to you as far as, I mean, I love the Lions getting Panay Sewell at seven. I wasn't expecting him to fall that far. What else stood out to you in round one? I think Minnesota being able to drop down in the draft and still get Christian Darasaw. We, in our mocks, we kept having Darasaw get snagged by the Chargers, one pick of, ahead of them. Uh, and not only did he make it past there, but they were able to trade down and still get him. I think that was one of the best picks. And then I think the Ravens cleaned up. You know, they, they didn't draft a tackle. They used their two first rounders on Rashad Bateman and Jason Owe, um, who I think is a perfect fit for that kind of defense. It's able to scheme up pressure as well. So I think Baltimore, I, I, even, you know, a new regime without Ozzy now, it's a sort of new uh, going into this new world post Ozzy, and they're still drafting just as well. Like it hasn't, there's been no drop off ever since. Especially if they do end up signing Alejandro Villanueva, who is, Apparently, the key to all offseason greatness in my world. Just all if, well, if whoever uh, signs Villanueva, because he's offensive line Will Fuller, he he is. I want every team to draw to to sign Villanueva because if they do it, they're gonna they would have gotten uh, traded Orlando Brown essentially for Alejandro Villanueva and Jason Owe, and that is good yeah. footballing. That is good front officing right there. Um, the Packers getting Eric Stokes, a guy Mike Renner's not terribly high on um, because he's the Trey Waynes, Sam. He is the guy that has the faster 40 than shuttle time, doesn't have great change of direction, but Green Bay feels like, they, hey, look, it, they have a desperate need at cornerback two opposite Jair Alexander, so they go with Eric Stokes. That's an important pick. I, it's one of the most important ones of the first round. I don't know if it's it's not good or bad. I, I don't love it. I don't hate it, but it's an important one. Did this so we've been we were talking before the draft about trends that this weird year might m might create, right? And whether it would force teams towards blue blood blue blood programs and those kinds of things. Did it feel like this year even more than normal teams just chased super athletes? Like anyone that runs a four two, you're getting bumped up into the first round. Anyone that has freakish ninety-seventh percentile athleticism, Peyton Turner, you're, you're the guy we're rolling the dice on. Like, screw it. When in doubt pick the freakiest athlete on the planet and figure out the rest later. I, that, I mean, maybe I'm just reading too much into a few picks that jump to mind, but it almost feels like that's how teams have defaulted in this sort of time of less information than normal. It, it, yeah, there, there's definitely an element to that. And so people were thinking, okay, you don't have official workout numbers from the combine, but you have pro days. And people might think, well, you're going to refer to the tape and you know rely on that, but there's less tape on all a lot of these guys, and especially the opt-outs. So maybe it was in LA. There's less tape on everybody, really. Peyton Turner, Eric Stokes, even Gregory Rousseau, just a freak. You know, Eric, I mean, Chris mentioned it on the show, just a freak of a body type, you know, that that you're dealing with. Jason Owe. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely an element to that as well. Um, Caleb Farley, we thought might fall. Titans took – look, we, we put him in our mock on the PFF yeah. NFL podcast here when we went back and forth, and the first comment was, no way the Titans – take that kind of risk <laughs> after the Isaiah Wilson debacle, but they took the risk. Payoff could be incredible, though, because the Titans need, you know, to go three deep a corner, and this gives them an opportunity to do that. I love the no way that happens. People. No way right? it happens. The amount, how many times did you hear that uh, Dave Gettleman never trades down? You're never going to have broken. It's, it's wrong, and Dave Gettleman trades down. Like, it's just anyone claiming anything with any degree of certainty is foolish before the draft. 
the two things I like the least before we wrap it up, though, Raiders at 17 getting Alex Leatherwood and, of course, the Steelers getting Najee Harris. We've talked about that quite a bit. But here's the thing. When you look at the offseason in its totality, both teams who did not have offensive line issues a year ago, really, right? Both teams absolutely depleted on the offensive line. So how do you go through this entire offseason and feel more optimistic about a Raiders team that has completely reshuffled the offensive line and grabbed a second-round caliber player at 17 to be a part of that rebuild? Steelers still have issues on the offensive line, and they got a running back while you know they've gotten worse in the secondary and other spots. Those two picks added to an offseason that's not great for either team you know, make me feel, you know, the worst out of the two you know, teams picking in the first. Yeah, we win the Steelers thing a bit when we, I mean, this pick was coming a mile off, so we've kind of covered it already. Um, the Raiders, the, the picks haven't been good and they haven't really worked out. Um, I, I will the wrong say thing. there's something, there, there's something, oh, there you go. Steve's a worse GM than Mike Mayock. There is something kind of admirable about the self-evident fact that the Raiders just do not give a crap about anybody else's draft board. It's like, I don't care where you all, you guys have this guy. We think he's the 15th best player in the draft, so we're going to take him at number 17. Or I don't care if you think this guy will be available late for us. We're going to draft him number four. They just they don't care. Like They're not playing this game for value. They're not playing, you know, they're not trying to out game everybody else they are just taking the top players on their board when they're available and as much as i think that's leaving an awful lot of gain on the table just just a little piece of me that admires it quite a lot is mike mayock making these picks because when he picked cleveland furl a couple years ago his old colleagues at nfl.com like oh look you know if mayock was doing the draft this year you, you everybody would have expected him to go in the top 10 because he's helping to dictate the action or whatever the consensus all had leatherwood as a second round pick and Chris mm-hmm. even said, I'd move him to guard. You know, he's got enough yeah. issues in pass protection. I will say Leatherwood has some of the best run blocks that you will find in this draft class. And that's where I think Tom Cable, you know, got those googly eyes and said, I want that. I want that mm-hmm. front side zone blocker that Alex Leatherwood is. Problem is, it just doesn't matter. You know, you're having a couple <laughs> good run blocks and, you know, doesn't matter. Protect Derek Carr and create plays down the field. That's the game. And, oh, by the way, Raiders, you probably can't win a whole lot if you don't have corners. Got to get better in the secondary. Still room to do it, but I just don't love it going forward here. So uh, we're going to wrap it up. It's PFF NFL podcast. It's our quick first-round reaction. We get the PFF NFL daily, so you can hear us talk about even more stuff. That'll be up first thing in the morning here. Um, And if you're listening in podcast land, uh, it'll be – you can go check it out right now. So subscribe to both. Keep that going. 30% 30% off, by the way, still live over at pff.com. Draft30 is the promo code. Draft30, you see it at the bottom there. Draft30, 30% off all PFF subscriptions. Any last words for your uh, for our first round recap here, Sam? No, um, we'll cover it. We'll cover it on the like the full wrap-up and the daily. So hope, we, hope you've enjoyed listening. See ya. <laughs> Browns fans are asking, too. I love the Browns move. I'm going to talk about them on the daily. Okay, so... Okay. Be sure to subscribe. I'll give you my Browns recap and how much I love that pick. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. If you're watching us live, PFF Forecast is coming up next. See you guys. <laughs>